I should be writing season 20, episode 1, live on Twitch, recorded on podcast. Hi there, my name is Merle Lafferty, and I am here to give you I Should Be Writing, the podcast for wannabe fiction writers. It is in its 20th season now, and it is, I think, the oldest still-going writing podcast on the internet. And I have been working on uh, coming to terms with that. That's a long time. And I think, as I mentioned earlier in the live stream before uh, I hit record, I have been comparing myself and my podcast growth with a lot of other people and finding myself lacking, but needing to remember that this is a solo thing. This is entirely me. The, the production, the posting, the editing the script uh the script writing when I do write a script coming up with ideas for the show my assistant books the interviewees but that everything else is me and I'm also a writer because that's what the show's about so it's kind of hard to um I, I don't know what I'm expecting of myself really I've not written a whole lot this weekend I was not feeling well this weekend and uh yesterday I had a phlebotomy if you're new, um, essentially I have a genetic blood thing that means I have to lose blood every so often to reduce the amount of iron in my body. And uh, essentially Middle Ages leeches, only they don't use those anymore. And I know that a lot of people can give blood every two months, but even doing it every three or four months wipes me out. So I had that done yesterday and I'm pretty tired. So not a lot of writing. Have been in contact with my agent about a current project. Uh, he wanted some tweaks on, so I'm going to be working on that. those. And yes, I would love to give my iron to anybody who needs it. I know there's, anemia is a much bigger problem than what I have. I still resent all of the exercise data I read about nutrition. And they're all saying, you need more iron. Athletes need more iron. And I'm thinking what if you can't? Is there anything you can do for energy? And I, I guess the answer is no. My hematologists don't seem very interested in the question. I don't know. So I was having all these bad feelings about what I could talk about if I had anything else left to talk about. I realized that I went back to why I started this show. And it may be an old story to you, but I've got 20 years of content, and you may not have heard it all. So, go get yourself some water or something, if you've heard this. I was talking to a friend of mine. I don't talk to her anymore. She and her husband moved away, and we have no means of communicating at all. None. Anyway, this was back in, I want to say, 2003? 
four? Probably four. Yeah, four or five. Yeah. It doesn't matter. A long time ago. And she was a wannabe writer and I was a wannabe writer. I'm like, hey, let's start a writing group. Let's get together and critique each other's stuff. And she went, no, no way. Because I'm afraid someone's going to steal my stuff. And I thought, that's, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, can someone steal your stuff? Yes. But that's like saying you don't want to get into a car because you might get into an accident. Do car accidents happen? Yes. But that doesn't stop you from going to the store. Or going on a road trip with your family. There are, you know, danger is such a strong word. Trials and pitfalls in every single thing we do. We just... But, but she was adamant. She was not going to be in a writer's group because she was afraid people would steal her work. And I'm thinking... But what about, are you going to be afraid to give it to an agent? This was before e-publishing was huge. So, like, I don't know where her thoughts went for her career. But I just remember her saying, absolutely not, because people would steal her stuff. That made me realize that I was a total wannabe, had not sold anything except for some role-playing game work. Like storytelling chapters and write-ups of existing settings with new plot points, uh, which is which was awesome, but I'm saying that was the only pro-fiction type stuff I'd been doing. Had not sold a story, had not sold a book. But I thought, well, I don't know a lot, but I know more than she does. And so that's what I wanted to do with I Should Be Writing, is give the listeners information while still admitting I may not have it all. But I had good connections with the guys who did the Dragon Page, and they had interviewed a lot of novelists. And I was going to a lot of cons, so I could either get a contact from them or go to conventions and interview authors. I found out the authors really like to talk about themselves. I've rem I think maybe one or two people have outright said no to an interview. As I got started on my writing career, I realized that I was more airing my own worries and vulnerabilities on the show, including struggles with mental health, and I was a parent of a toddler at the time. That's another frightening thing of time passing. That kid, I just booked the hotel room for their graduation <laughs> from college. So anyway, time passes. So when I would come on I Should Be Writing, I would talk about my the various problems I was having and how I was trying to deal with them, but also to let people know that they weren't alone. And I found out, spoiler, as you move along in your career, those fears evolve, but they're still there. I had a I had an idea this weekend. It felt like one of those what's wrong with me, why haven't I thought about this before kind of thing, where I thought I could sell one of my existing novellas, like podcast novellas, to a small press. But then I thought, but then I'll have to take it down off then I'll have to take it off of Amazon and then I'll have to take it off BNN and maybe my agent wants to take a look at it and see if he can sell it and and then I'm just like this is my work and this is my career and I can do what I want. Talking to people who know more than me is often a good idea. But the worst thing that can happen is people can say no. But 
realizing that I was in charge was scary. You know, I have ADHD, executive function, not very good. And I realized that, that I'm doing this pod, I continue to do this podcast because of, um, every once in a while, someone will tell me that me being honest about my depression encouraged them to talk to their doctor. And if I can get anybody out of the pit that is mental illness and into becoming a working creative person, that is the biggest reward for me. I've had people start listening to my show and then become much more successful authors than I have been. And I'm very proud of that. But I'm more proud of the fact that I just helped people get a leg up and be creative again. But the other thing, the reason why I keep coming back here is, like I said, those fears don't go away. Imposter syndrome does not go away. It just evolves. I am having severe imposter syndrome right now because I'm on, I'm a guest on the Joko cruise. Did you know that you can join the Joko cruise still? And you can uh, use Mer 24 when you sign up and you'll get neat stuff from me, like handmade dice and an exclusive t-shirt. But I'm looking at the other people on the Joko cruise and I'm like, oh my God, severe, severe imposter syndrome. So it, it, it stays. I sometimes don't know what to do with a plot or a character or a conflict. I don't know where to start books. An agent or editor will tell me something that I'm not sure I agree with and I won't know what to do. And I think I'm always going to be like this. So that's another reason why I still do it because those feelings are still there and I have to work through them. And the good news I have when I told you the bad news that you're still going to have these hangups, the good news is that you'll know you can move past it. And that's what makes a pro is when you have the same feelings of, do I even belong here? And then you do it anyway. But one thing I have learned in the 20 years that I've been doing this is it's tiring to have confidence. It's tiring to pretend to have confidence. Imposter syndrome is very tiring. And when it wins is when you just feel kind of deflated and go, okay, I don't belong there, whether there is metaphorical or literal. My story doesn't belong in that anthology. I might as well just not send it. Or my story doesn't belong in the top tier science fiction magazines. I'm going to start off with this free magazine. And constant vigilance is required to remind yourself that you're in charge of your own career. Agents work for you. Editors work with you. But you're in charge of your career. And that is terrifying, especially for those of us who were Gen X, still are Gen X, but who are Gen X and remember that feeling that, that uh, oh so frequently said with the tired tone of voice, which is, you've just got so much potential. I dropped my pen. You've just got so much potential. Knowing I have a lot of potential is also scary, but they were right. They just didn't understand why I couldn't tap into that potential. But knowing that I'm in charge of my own career reminds me that, yes, I do did have potential. I do have potential. And if I get an idea, I'm the only one who's going to stop me. 
There's so many ways to publish things these days. There is absolutely nothing stopping you from doing almost any creative thing you want to do and getting in front of people. Will they look? Will they like it? <laughs> that's that's up that's on you. But the technology's there for you to do almost anything you want. And the idea of attacking that is terrifying and exhausting. And whenever I get down about where I am in my career, or I get jealous of where other people are, I remind myself, it's all on me. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a moment. Um, I'm recording this on January 23rd. Is that right? Yep, January 23rd, 2024. And uh, we've wanted... We, we haven't had a good Hugo blow up in a couple of years, so we were due. But one thing that I'm ending with the punchline. I really didn't think this through, did I? R.F. Kuang got kind of shafted at the Hugos. Um, she, pronounced she, they, or she, her. I apologize if I'm getting this wrong, but she posted something on social media about her opinion of what happened at the Hugos and um, then ended it with, that's all I'll say. I have to go write books now. And that was inspiring to me. Because this kind of thing that's happening right now can threaten to take over your life. So what happened was, the math behind the Hugos is rather complex. I can't even describe it. I kind of understand it. But one thing that happens after the Hugos, usually that night, the night after the Hugos, you will have printouts of all of the nomination information from the first, when they closed nominations. And which they'll show you the top 15, what we call the long list, of votes getters, getters for that category. And it's interesting looking at those because you'll see exactly where you, if you lost, exactly where you were in the top six. And you'll find out if you didn't get nominated, if you may have been nominated otherwise. I mean, if you were, like, in the running. And um, it's always fun to look at. Unfortunately, what happened was... First, what happened was, if you're, if you're thinking, uh, you know, if you're counting, the Hugos were three months ago. Why was that data not given to us that night? Well, there was international travel and a kid got sick and get off my back, I believe was said. Um, and they had 90 days to give us all the numbers. So we wanted the numbers. They gave it to us on day 91. I think there was a little bit of spite there. A little bit. A little bit, maybe. And the numbers, some of the numbers did not make any sense at all. Uh, there are, you'll find titles and authors and TV shows in the top six. And they will have an asterisk beside them saying declared ineligible. There are very clear rules on what is eligible and what is ineligible. The work had to be done in 2022 because this was the 2023 Hugos. So the work had to be published or aired in 2022. And sometimes somebody will not realize, like fans will not realize that it came out the year before or something that has happened before. And it did happen this time. Sometimes as in the astounding award, their persons 
eligible window will have closed. You can only win the Astounding Award in the first two years of your professional career. Some people don't want to be nominated for reasons such as they recuse themselves because they won many years in a row and they want to make room for other people, or they uh, are protesting something having to do with the Hugos and don't want to be involved with it, and they can uh, say no to the nomination in that case. But one of the biggest bestsellers in genre last year was R.F. Kuang's Babel. It was not nominated. It won the Nebula Award. It was not nominated for the Hugo. And when you look at the nomination numbers, it was there in the top three, really close to Nettle and Bone, which eventually won, and Legend and Lattes. Babel was science fiction fantasy. Babel was published in 2022. There is absolutely no reason Babel should have been pulled unless Kwong pulled it. Kwong did not pull it. People are quite upset. This happened also in the fan writer category. It happened to the Sandman uh, TV show. And I believe it happened to somebody in the who was would have been nominated would have been nominated for the Astounding Award. So people are understandably upset, and the answer is that this was the, we we abided by all the rules of the convention and the rules we were given, and we're like, what rules are those? Because these all of these people and pieces of art were eligible. They followed the rules. And we keep getting the same answer again and again. And we're thinking, was it a political move by the Chinese government? We don't know because the answer is, we abided by the rules. And that's the answer we keep getting. And people are like, what rules are those? And they say, the rules we abided by. And... We honestly don't know. Um, and of course, you've got the the white dude privilege thing going on, whereas when those of us peons ask what's going on, we get angry responses and rude responses. And when Neil Gaiman asks, he got polite responses. But still, the responses are, we abided by the rules. So um, this taints the Hugos because we can't, trust what would have happened um the people who won those categories it's an awkward thing for them because um if the people who actually got nominated would have been on the ballot what would have happened we don't know i mean babel won the nebulas i think it won the locust too i'm not sure people are very angry incredibly so i don't know what anybody expects there to be done about it but sometimes you just got to say something's hinky. We don't want this guy associated with the Hugos again. That's for sure. So that's what's going on. Yeah, it's funny what Tree Lobster said about it. You know, 2024 saying hold my beer to the 2015 Hugos. It's like, I was thinking it wasn't as bad as that. But at least with the 20, if you don't know, I can't imagine anybody not knowing, but just in case. Maybe you're listening to this 20 years in the future and everyone has forgotten about it because you've all got flying cars and are happy. That people discovered that if you nominate the... If you get a whole bunch of people to nominate the whole, the same things in the same order, you can pack the nomination slate with your nominees. And so there were some people who thought that the 
nominations were too liberal and they nominated some of their friends. They, they joke nominated a couple of people. They nominated some poor people who were liberal but on their slate and therefore they got harassed. They got harassed for staying on the ballot. They got harassed if they decided to pull, to deny the ballot. It was very ugly. And that was the year that no award won more Hugos than ever before in Hugo history. Like, the whole of Hugo history, no award won more times in 2015 than in the past. And it was it was awkward, and the the ceremony was quite awkward. But it was tastefully and quickly done. The, you know, Hugo voters have determined that no, there will be no award given for this category. And then they just moved on. Yeah. It, it, but the thing about that is that we knew what was happening. We all knew. And they got the Hugo voter, the Hugo numbers. Ugh. They got the nomination system changed because of it. If you are reading about this incident and you hear what EPH means, E Pluribus Hugo is what they called the change in the nominations. And it has to do with each ballot has a certain, like, this is, it's not this, but this is the description I have, which is, say you get 10 points per, on your ballot. And so if you want to nominate one novel and that's it, that novel gets your 10 points. If you want to nominate two novels, it's split between them. So you've got five points for this novel and five points for that novel. It's a lot more nuanced and complicated, but that's essentially it. So that way it, it discourages slate voting. So, and that dealt with the problem. They still managed to mess with a couple of Hugos, but not as badly as 2015. But it, it showed us, it showed there was a big weakness in the Hugo nomination progress process, excuse me, we fixed it. But, but, we don't know what happened here. There's also, also some math things. When people did math on some of the ballots, they came up with, like, over 100% of the ballots. And that's not possible. So, it, it it's just been ugly. That's really it. And we don't know what happened, so we don't know how we can fix it. But I think there are some of us, like, a lot of the fan writers are good at this. Um, I recommend Jason Sanford's Genre Grapevine and several others. If you just look at the ballot and look at who the fan writers are, they're all covering this. All the nominees. Uh, Paul Weimer, I believe that's how his last name is pronounced. I apologize, Paul, if I mangled that. Was the fan writer left off, off the ballot and no one told him he was ineligible. And he did a lot of good work in 2022. So it's a mess. And, you know, the more you mess with the brightest, most exciting award in your genre, the less credibility it has. So you, you, they, they damaged what we think of when we think of the Hugos. So, um, but I am not an arguer. I am not a problem solver in those kinds of realms. So <laughs> my point is that all I can do is keep writing. Because I'm not, I'm not a fan, I, I'm not a fan writer, I'm not a arguer or critic. I just know it sucks. And I know that something needs to be done, but I don't know what can be done. And I know I gotta keep writing. And that's what makes it tiring, is that 
nobody can do it for me and nobody can tell me to do it. So constant vigilance is required, but take it easy on yourself. The thing is, emotions are not reality. Not necessarily. And so on the days when you feel low, like you're a crap writer and you're never, ever, ever going to get something published or get something better published or get something on the awards ballot or whatever, you know, like I say with the rejections, just let yourself feel crappy for a day. But know the, the next day you need to get back to work because that those emotions you were feeling are not real. Some emotions are reality. A lot of the rage felt about the Yukos is absolutely legitimate. But the interior struggles we have where we tell ourselves horribly, meanly, that we don't belong, those aren't reality. So um, I am trying to get back into live streaming Tuesday, Thursday, 3 p.m. That is when I should be writing as live. You can also download this, um, the whole episode from uh, Patreon or Substack and uh, patreon.com slash mightymer and you can uh, or you can subscribe to the free podcast and get it a little bit later over at murverse.com that's also where you can find all my books my latest book Chaos Terminal came out in uh, November and it's right here and it's pretty I'm showing a picture to the camera if you came to the live stream you would have seen that I'm going to keep going I'm going to keep trying not every podcast I do is this emotional, but uh, sometimes I got to be honest. And honesty and vulnerability is kind of what I built my brand on. What if I ever really got confident? That'd be weird. But anyway, if you're getting a lot out of I Should Be Writing and you're unable to support via Patreon or Twitch, then um, please leave a review. It really, really helps how the podcast appears when people search for writing podcasts, and that does me a big favor. And it's absolutely free. So would really appreciate it if you could take the time to do that. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Until then, you should be writing. Isn't that right, puppy? Yes. Thank you for listening to I Should Be Writing, the longest-running writing podcast in existence. This episode was made possible by The Fabulous, who support the podcast via Patreon or Substack. Join The Fabulous at patreon.com slash mightymer or mightymer.substack.com. Theme music provided by John Anilio, art provided by Numbers Ninja, and podcast hosting provided by Libsyn. This episode is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 License. You can find all of my books and podcasts at merverse.com. Tune in next time when you'll hear Mer Lafferty say, I'd like to see Connie Willis and Margaret Atwood fight. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware.
Terms apply.